Network is proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew into award-winning beer. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zainashef and John Fleece. Good evening, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Good evening once again. Here we are, and we're going to talk about German pills and Probably some of the best beer in the world are German pills. Yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, it's kind of a shock to me that when you have German pilsners available, that people would drink, like, American, uh, you know, light lagers, American, what American called pilsners, I guess. Right. Because, uh, you know, the German Pilsners are, you know, they, they have, you know, a, a nice malt character to them, and the hops, and the fermentation is flawless, and they're just, ah, oh, they're just so darn good. When you get them, when you get them fresh, boy, they're excellent. Mm. Last year, we went on a trip of, uh, Europe. Yeah, that's right. You went with your went family. Around, yeah, we spent a, a fair amount of time in Germany, and, you know, since I, since I got a couple of kids, <clears throat> you know, people, they poo-poo, uh, <laughs> You know, going to places like Straw Hat and McDonald's. Yeah. But, you know, when you got a couple of young kids and you're from America, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna be stopping in there every once in a while. You know, my kids are only gonna eat so much schnitzel before <laughs> they're gonna ask for like a cheeseburger. Right. So, it may seem like a sin and a crime, but I'll tell you, you go into a McDonald's in Germany and they got beer. What? Yeah. This is one of That's the things hardcore. I love about Germany. You go anywhere, they got beer. And, uh, so, as a matter of fact, my avatar on the forums yeah. is, uh, me holding a cup of beer at McDonald's. Oh, that's, that's what, what that is. is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know I everybody's wondering, wondering, what the hell is that picture? Yeah, I don't get it. What's that cup in his hand? Oh. It's, I'm holding a, a, a Bitburger, a German Pilsner in a McDonald's a cup. Bitburger in McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, I, that's in uh, Trier, Germany. Oh my God. And, uh, you know, we were, I think we were on our way out of town. We were just getting ready to leave or something and, and we needed something quick to eat and the kids were like, yeah, yeah, McDonald's. And I was like, okay. So we stopped in there and, your eyes probably lit up. Woo. And I'm like, hey, you know, the guy, it was our first, first time in a McDonald's in Europe and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, they don't have the quarter pounder with cheese. Yeah. Oh, they call it the Royale with cheese. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but they have, uh, beer on the menu. And I told her, I said, uh, get me a beer. <laughs> and she got me a beer. And it came in a plastic cup? <laughs> Paper cup. Paper oh, cup. Oh, those wax. And like what, a soda yeah. cup. Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> What's wrong with America? Yeah, why can't we have beer? Food? Well, wasn't there like some Chuck E. Cheese where they tried to have beer and then like people in Tennessee or wherever it was got up in arms and uh, wanted to close the place down? Didn't you do a story on that, Justin? Like on a Sunday show, you mentioned that. Ah, oh, you don't remember. I don't. I don't remember anything I do. <laughs> well, the, Probably better that way. That's a right. good thing. Yeah. <laughs> really good thing. Just training. I wondered how you survived. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> how you live with yourself. Uh, but uh, yeah, they they uh, have it there, and it was really 
quite good. It was fresh and yeah. clean and oh yeah. I, I wow. think if you're selling beer in Germany, it's got to be fresh and clean and good. I, I don't think they <laughs> accept anything else around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't accept bad beer, and people tend to know whether beer is good or not, and so you know they don't they don't put up with crappy beer. And you can walk around with a beer in hand in Germany, right? I mean. If you know, walked out of McDonald's you know. and you wanted to take a walk around the block, they're not going to be like, oh, you're drinking. Walking and drinking is difficult for me. So okay. I tend to just sit. <laughs> okay. Don't want to, like, you know, get confused. Right, right. And, right. You know, <laughs> Lost. Lose the beer or something. Huh. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I tend to sit down when I'm, when I'm having beer. Wow. See, I need to go to Germany just for this experience. I'm jealous. Yeah, it's wonderful. If, mm. uh, you know, and it, uh, the German people are just fantastic, too. Just, now, just wonderful what place. What does that tell you about, like, their society and their economy. I mean, how dependent are they upon great beer wherever you go? I mean, this is just me and the California American guy who's never been on the States, but they've got beer on tap in McDonald's. That just seems so foreign to me. But you and I are pretty dependent on where beer wherever we go. Yeah. <laughs> great beer. But I would like to go. go to Taco Bell or, uh, you know, some, right. you know, McDonald's and, and Burger King and have a, hey, can I get a pint to go and drive away. Especially no, in the drive-thru. Yeah. <laughs> drive-thru, yeah. yeah. Can you fill me up again? Yeah. You'd just be circling around the, the, the Taco Bell constantly, <laughs> sitting in the drive-thru, <laughs> spending an afternoon. That'd be great. See the cops doing it, too. That'd be funny. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. But, uh, well, absolutely one of my favorite styles. And, you know, Germany's a place here. You can get pretty good examples here in the States, but I, I would say... Of all the countries of beer that, you know, America's become, you know, quite the, the brewing nation with just some of the most fantastic beers being brewed. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry if you're listening to this in another country and you think, you know, we're crazy or just talking it up or something like that. If you haven't been over here and sampled all the, the breweries and stuff that are going on, uh, you know, Michael Jackson, not the guy with the glove, but the beer guy. Right. You know, he was, you know, saying that America is one of the, you know, the, the best brewing places to go brewing you know countries in the world and you know whether you're talking about belgian beers it used to be really hard to get good belgian beers here Mm -hmm. but the stuff that's happening here now with belgian beers and Mm -hmm. brewers like Vinny and and uh and tommy and and all these guys you know just just incredible stuff that they're doing now Mm -hmm. that rivals what's happening in belgium when you're talking you know hoppy beers you know nobody has it like the west coast right if you're talking about um uh, English beers. Right. You know, there are a lot of people very focused on on making a great English pint, and right. while it's not just wildly common, there's some very very good examples being made, and a lot of people doing things on cask and doing it properly as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're talking about uh, you know beers from uh, you know Scotland or uh, you know anywhere a- anywhere else in the world, they're really fantastic, and there are some good places doing German uh, beers right. Mm-hmm. And German lagers, but very few. Yeah, they're fewer and far between than I think any other kind of beer styles. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it, they're very difficult to do. What do you think is that has encouraged these breweries? Or I mean, there's a big movement. There's like 1,500 breweries or something in the country. But to do these different styles from around the world, I mean, is it to separate themselves? Is it to offer the general public more variety? Is it? Yeah, is, I it, think, is it the brewer that, that that's what they like to drink? I think it's the brewer, the owner. It's it's you know it's just like a desire to be creative and do something. Mm-hmm. You know anybody can work in a factory and well not anybody, 
and you know, factory work is hard, and, mm-hmm. and to do quality factory work is hard. Mm-hmm. But you know, you're doing the same thing day in and day out a lot of times mm-hmm. in that type of work, and people just they seem much more satisfied when they get to be more creative, right? And have more variety in what they're doing, more right. challenges. And I think you know that's gone over to the beer world. And initially. When you open a pub, mm. you could do a pale ale and, you know, maybe like a blonde ale and an extra pale ale, maybe, you right. know, or, or something slightly brown. Right. And, you know, as as the, the brewers demanded to, to branch out, the, a lot of the places realized that you could go ahead and do that. You could branch out and be more creative, and people would drink the beer still. Right. It wasn't, you know, and I, I used to hear this a lot. I don't hear it quite as much anymore. It's like, well... Yeah, we can't really brew something like that because nobody would drink it. That's like, well, that's yeah, true. that's that's a really weird yeah. thought. You know, it's like well, if it's really good, wouldn't people drink it anyways? Yeah. Oh, people wouldn't know what to make of it, and so they wouldn't order it and wouldn't drink it. The funny but thing is, if it's a good beer, you know, people tend to tend to drink it anyways, yeah. or the word gets around, and and I think you have a lot uh, more savvy consumer nowadays. So right. that's kind of expanded. And I think the the American uh, people have really. You know, kind of branched out into you know more exotic coffees mm-hmm. uh, with uh, you know more beer. They have their more coffee mm-hmm. uh, division as well, and and uh, that's a good example of that. Uh, you know, home roasting of coffees and all the different beans mm-hmm. and their flavors and stuff, and you know breads and cheeses. Mm-hmm. You know, cheese making and uh, all the cheeses that are available. Mm-hmm. That's a similar thing, and. I think, you know, we're just kind of waking up. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we want a a better experience. Oh, yeah. And so we're looking for a lot more of that. And the funny thing is you go to a lot of these other countries, and while they have fantastic beers, they have a very narrow selection of beers. Right. You know, if you go, yeah, if you go to England, you're going to get English beers. Right. And, you know, some American lagers. If you go to Germany, you get German beers. If you go to, you know, that's, that's, that's essentially Belgium what you get. Yeah. Too, I mean, and, and you go here, mm-hmm. you can choose, you know, really good Belgian beers, really good, you know, West Coast hoppy beers, really good lagers, really, you know, you get such a wide variety and often yeah. at the same, at one place. Yeah, one city. Yeah, yeah. You know, one, or one pub, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're going to get six widely because people <laughs> like to you know, spread it around, do different things. Right. And it's just fantastic. And I, I, there's nowhere else in the world you can do that, right. I think. And some of the other countries, I think, are starting to pick up that kind of, uh, variety in mm-hmm. their pubs. Uh, you know, people are, it, it's kind of spreading as an idea. Um, but, uh, I agree with you. There's definitely a flavor movement going on. You know, even from how you people live and being organic and stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. people are becoming a lot more aware of their surroundings and what's good for you, mm-hmm. you know, as mm-hmm. an individual, you know. What's good for you and just, you know, making the most of life. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's, which is very important. And whether that's something that's not good for you or, you know, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's, you know, you know, quality of life is very important. Quality of what you consume is important instead mm-hmm. of just uh, average everyday stuff. All right. So okay. we'll take a short break. Come back. We'll talk about uh, German pills, and then uh, you're going to cover your award-winning recipe, eh? All right. All right.
you know that you can not only order from More Beer online at morebeer.com and receive free shipping on most orders over $59, but you can also shop in person at their two retail locations located in Concord and Riverside, California. In fact, the Concord facility has grown to over 15,000 square feet to fit all the new products, expanded showroom, and new knowledge center classroom. And now, in conjunction with the Brewing Network, More Beer is making it easier than ever to keep up on what's happening. Download the More Beer monthly podcast by clicking podcast at morebeer.com. You'll learn about More Beer's history, sales and discounts on More Beer products, get to know team members, and hear ways to save you money. They're also launching a brand new website soon with more features and a better online shopping experience. So go to morebeer.com or call 800-600-0033. That's 800-600-0033. This is The Jameel Show. All right, we're back. We're talking about German Pilsners. Now, the German Pilsner style is uh, a lager mm-hmm. made in Germany. <laughs> yes, it is. And the, the, the key to the style is that it's a, a crisp, clean, refreshing lager. It uh, prominently features, you know, German hop bitterness and German hops. It's, uh, it's attenuated well enough that it's crisp and dry. It, it has a fair amount of uh, hop IBUs. The IBU ranges from uh, 25 to 45 IBUs. Tends to be kind of in the middle of that range. And what happens is that's not a lot of IBUs. You know, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, uh, you know, probably has more IBUs, but it's and it's got a fairly dry finish, so it's right. nice and bitter. Right. There are other beers that'll have uh, you know same number of IBUs, but there's some more malt background, mm-hmm. and so it's not going to seem quite as bitter. Mm-hmm. Now this one. They attenuate out really dry, and so those IBUs really stick out, and it seems real bitter and crisp. And because it's dry, it seems real crisp. Right. So your your starting gravity range, 1044 to 1050. The finishing gravity range, uh, the BJCP lists as uh, 1.008 to 1.0313. Uh, and I think, you know, that, that crisper dryer is really, really a key feature of the style. Alcohol ranges in the 4.4 to 5.2 alcohol by volume, and color is 2 to 5 SRM. So it's a real light color beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it tends to be not as pale as, you know, some of the American lagers. As it can be a little bit more golden uh, with some of the uh, uh, extra maltiness. And again, it's going to be crisp and dry, but it will have uh, a uh, uh, malt character to it. Not a heavy malt sweetness, mm. but a maltiness that's kind of present in uh, almost all the the German beers. That's right. one of the things, you know, the, the English beers are going to have kind of that biscuity thing, yeah, yeah. maltiness. And the German beers are going to kind of, beers are going to have kind of that pilsner maltiness mm. in all of them. Right. And uh, and uh, you know sometimes a, a noble uh, hop flavor and aroma, but it tends to be quite restrained in the hops. What's you know. interesting too is how you have that hot flavor all the way through mm-hmm, as you drink mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's pretty important if you can pull that off, you know. Right, right. Because Spotten has that, you know, if you right. bite a Trader Joe's, it has that 
Mm-hmm. So delicious, you know. Well, the interesting thing is a lot of those beers, you know, it comes through, even if you do just a bittering edition, mm-hmm. the hot flavor travels all the way through because the beer is so, so crisp and dry. There's not a lot of other things masking and muddying the flavors. not a lot of sweetness that kind of suppresses some of those other flavors that actually lets it travel through mm-hmm. a lot better. And that's, uh, you know, one of the the keys, I think, to this style is, you know, targeting that uh, you know, crisp, clean, you know, malty, slightly hoppy beer, uh, you know, with a firm bitterness. But it's definitely yeah. a hop-dominated Pilsner or a lager, uh, I should bitter, say. Bitter, bitter dominated. Bitter. Yeah, a hop bitter dominated. Okay. With uh, some, some uh, you know, hop character as well. Mm. And John, you have a, an award-winning recipe for this, right? That I do. You, you really you brew a lot, and you really enjoy. And so you're going to cover uh, your recipe on this. Yeah, this beer uh, places here at Nationals got a third. Um, it's for six U.S. gallons, uh, mash efficiency of seventy percent. Let's see here. Uh, for an all grain, uh, you'd use about eight half pounds of German two-row pills, a pound of Munich, and a half a pound of Carafoam. And I think it's very important to have roughly about 10% Munich in this just mm-hmm. to give you that grainy flavor mm-hmm. um, and a little bit of that golden hue mm-hmm. that Spawn has. Just a little bit. I, I, I just think it just adds a certain type of grain flavor. It's hard to explain. but mm-hmm. And then the Carafoam for body, and you want definitely a nice head retention on that too. Which a carafoam contributes to. You get a a lot of uh, extra head uh, retention with the carafoam. Yeah, you do. It's if if you get it well properly carbonated, you know, you know, twelve pounds of pressure for a week. You know, it's like well, it's at two volumes, two and a half volumes or something of carbonation. You definitely get like a very creamy type of head on top. So mm-hmm. as compared to not using the carafoam, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, bittering, I use. Uh, one and a quarter ounces of hollow tower at 4.2 alpha acid for 60 minutes. And I use a half an ounce of hollow tower in the last minute or at whirlpool basically. And that's 4.2 alpha acid. Um, I do a 90 minute boil, um, 30 minutes without any hops. The reason being is I'm using German pills malt and started rid of all the DMS precursors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mash very low at 148 Fahrenheit. Um, I've been actually decreasing my mash time now to about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, I do a 15-minute recirc at the end just to clarify the work from the mash. Mm-hmm. Um, predicted gravity is about 1048 to 1050. Um, I try to hit 1048, uh, and I try to get it as dry as I can. So terminal gravity is about 1008, 1009, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, colors 4.3 SRM. I tried to shoot for lower bitterness because um, I, I think my last hop edition can add some flavor and bitterness to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty conservative when I use my bittering hops. And it does actually stay in the beer longer down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, even two months after lagering, you can still get a fair amount of bitter aftertaste. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty malty beer, too. Well, so. I think if you uh, you know, if you get the beer dry enough, that bitterness will come through. And I, I think a lot a of right. beer yeah. judges uh, perhaps are not familiar with how bitter this beer really appears, you know, in the in the in the mouth. And so, uh, you know, if it's if it was, I think sometimes if it was quite as bitter, they they wouldn't expect it, you know, almost. But uh, yeah, you know, I think uh, you know, getting enough attenuation is important. Getting it dry enough is important. So you mentioned you do uh, 148 uh, Fahrenheit on the uh, mash temp. Yeah, just trying to get as much small chain, you know, sugars as I can. Mm-hmm. You know, it's easier for the yeast to consume. Um, 
I've even Makes gone down higher. drier. Mm-hmm. I mean, even 146, you know, mm-hmm. I think you can get away right. with too. Well, when I'm when I'm going on the lower temperatures, I've found that I've uh, needed to increase my mash time a little bit. Really? And uh, you know, hmm. and uh, you know, when I when I when I go higher, I don't need as quite as long. The uh, interesting thing is, I was actually reducing my mash times mm-hmm. uh, overall. I think we talked about this in the past. How you know some of these grains at uh, you know uh, a high enough temperature and uh, the proper pH they'll convert almost when they hit the water. Right. And uh, but I you know just recently and this is probably during the last year I've actually been increasing my lower uh, mash times. What um, what's your thinking process? I mean, uh, you know I'm, I, I was Sorry. really just screwing around with the uh, saisons and things like that yeah. where I was not getting them to attenuate enough and really it was kind of a yeast problem mm-hmm. uh, the strain I was using. And uh, I was, you know, just bound to determine to make that sucker ferment all the way right. out, <laughs> regardless of what people said that the yeast <laughs> would do. I was going to make it do something else. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, one of the things I was doing was just like, okay, I will leave this at 142 degrees for, you know, an hour and a half. Wow. And we'll get this sucker to, uh, you know, dry out. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it really does make a difference. And, you know, efficiency goes through the roof, too, hmm. uh, when you tend to do that. It tends to... Uh, do even better. So uh, yeah, I, I, I played around with with lengthening it. If I if I really was not getting enough fermentability, I would do that. Or uh, I'll add some simple sugar. Okay. And I think you can even add a little simple sugar to this, especially Just, if you're an extract brewer. Yeah, there you go. You know, you, you use a good Pilsner malt extract. You mm-hmm. know, Brees makes a good one. I think uh, uh, Morbier has a good one. And uh, you know, you probably get it from uh, your local homebrew shop. Just tell them you want a continental Pilsner malt extract. Yeah. And uh, the thing with that is it's already mashed and it's already, you know, processed. So right. the fermentability is already determined for you. Right. And, you know, try it just that way to start with because a lot of them are targeted at making, you know, uh, a, a German type of lager. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't turn out dry enough, the next time uh, when you're adding your extract, add some, uh, you know, simple sugar, table sugar. You corn know, sugar? Add, yeah, corn sugar's fine. Okay. Like four ounces uh, or a cup? Or yeah, was it? I'd go with a half pound or a pound. Oh, wow. Uh, and, you know, see how that dries. You know, maybe like 5% okay. or so, and you can go up to 10%, and uh, that will help dry it out. You really won't taste that. I know people are afraid of adding, uh, you know, uh, simple sugars, especially to, especially you know, the Ryan Heitzkebote, uh, yeah. uh, beers. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, you need it to dry out enough. And if you're doing extract, you're going to have a hard time with that sometimes. Uh, when you're all grain, you can control it. You know, you can go down in, in your mash temperature. Right. But, uh, for extract brewers, I think they need to, you know, consider maybe adding a little simple sugars if, if they're not getting quite where they well, need to be. Well, you're definitely stressing that the beer has to be dry. Yeah. And, I mean, so you have yeah. to. Get that corn in there, or simple sugar in there. Oh, and let to me be the style. let me make yeah. this perfectly clear because sometimes uh, it gets misunderstood. You're not adding the sugar in addition to the malt, but you'll take some of that malt extract out, and you'll add table sugar in its place. Oh, so you're reducing your ultralight or whatever you're right. using, your exactly. German pills. Oh, okay. right, right, right. You're not adding on top of it. Right, because oh. that's going to increase the gravity and all that. And, right. Uh, and so, um, you know, you want the same gravity, but you just want it to ferment drier. So, uh, John, what was your starting gravity? It was uh, 1050? 1048 or 1050, right. Yeah, right in that range, mm-hmm. which is uh, right in the money for, for, you know, the classic styles. You know, remove some of the malt extract and then, you know, replace it with some simple sugar and it'll 
attenuate dry. Now, how much extract are you talking about removing? A quarter pound, half pound? I mean, I don't uh, know what the yeah, brace conversion is, but... Yeah, you would want to end up with the same, you know, uh, original gravity. Hmm. So, um, you know, swap out, uh, you know, uh, like a pound of sugar and, you know, however much uh, extract is going to remove, it's going to be close to a pound. Okay. Uh, you know. So if you did originally like a seven pounds of German pills malt, take out a pound of that and put a pound of corn sugar in on top of right, it, six right, pounds. Right, okay. Right. Yeah, you know, something like that. Okay. You know, work with your homebrew shop to get the exact numbers. But, right. you know, the point is you want to have a dry, dry enough beer. Mm-hmm. And so for those extract brewers, it's difficult. But, you know, like, like you're saying on, on your all grain, you're going with a low mash temperature. Mm-hmm. I was drinking, uh, Seedworks Pilsner last night. Mm-hmm. And I like this beer a lot. And it's a commercial brew. It's an American style German pills. And I couldn't drink it all last night because it was way too harsh and almost had a salt character coming through. It just seemed really high on sulfates. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the bitterness was strong. But it, my question to you, and I was thinking, I got a question for Jamil. And it was, can you have too high of a sulfated water, too much salts mm-hmm. in your beer to the point where it can take away maltiness? Like yeah. It can uh, well, give- I imagine it could do anything. Okay. Um, generally, what happens is, you know, the more, uh, you know, uh, sulfates in the water, the, the harsher the bitterness becomes. The bitterness becomes sharper and sharper and to a point where it just becomes really harsh. Mm-hmm. And then you start getting, uh, you know, this mineral salt thing. Yeah. And yeah. That's what I was getting. Yeah. It can, Minerally. It, it can be, it can be really bad. Hmm. You know, one of the interesting things is, uh, if you hang around with any uh, old folks, uh, Older than me, not, not, I, I know I'm an old folk, but, you know, even older than me, um, a lot of them will, uh, add salt to beer. If you take them out to some craft brew place, I was with a, a friend of mine and take them out to, met them at this craft brew place, uh, and, you know, I'm ordering the beer and, uh, you know, he, he was gonna get a beer and, uh, I suggested he get like a, uh, blonde ale or something light, you know, not very bitter. And uh, he asked the bartender what they, you know, the, the hot-looking chick bartender, what, what she like, and she liked the IPA. And I'm like, eh, hey, you know, I don't think you want the IPA. And he's, ah, no, I get the IPA. And uh, I don't think he ever had an IPA before. And he takes a couple sips, and he reaches for the salt shaker, and he goes, now, this is how you fix a bad beer, you know, and he adds salt to the beer. He goes, ah, that mellows it out and makes it makes it better. Wow. And what the salt does is... um it adds a, a kind of a slickness to the whole thing. It right. kind of softens things up sometimes. So okay. adding sodium chloride to the to the beer. <laughs> That's an awesome story. I always wondered what that did because I know that about people right. too. <laughs> I've always seen my whole. I remember being young and uh-huh. guys throwing a little uh, in right. their in their paps or whatever they were having. Right. Well, salt. Yes. Yeah, it just smooths the, it. The bitterness. I see. And it knocks out some of the CO2 as well, which again makes it not quite as sharp. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of like a sin and a crime to see somebody adding salt to their IPA, but. Did he drink you know, it? Yeah, you know, yeah. and I, I know he was just trying to be pleasant and nice that, you know, not to hurt my feelings that I, you know, I'd pick this place and they have really horrible beer. When, uh, you know, the fact was he just didn't know, but, you know, you get somebody old enough and crotchy enough, you can't explain anything to yeah, him, yeah, so I didn't even bother trying. Right. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, so, so yeah, salts and stuff like that can do it. That's one thing. Do you, do you adjust your water? Do you add any mineral salts or anything to that? You're using, uh, I add a fairly moderate water here in, uh, Concord, right? I filter my water. The water coming out of Concord water, I think it's Contra Costa County or East Bay, mm-hmm. whatever it is, it's like 
3.0 pH. You know, I, I filter. You know, I pee in that water when I go up to the to the reservoir that's, and take my kids out on the boat. That's why the beer's turning out good. It's, it's turning out salty and, uh, <laughs> and a little Jamil. And yeah. I'm glad to know that I've drank you. I, 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 pee, yeah. I pee in your beer. Wow, I didn't know that. That's yeah, awesome. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I go up to Comanche and, you know, <laughs> urinating in the reservoir, you know, and... Uh, uh, it ends up in your beer. That's really cool. No wonder. You're just spreading the potentness <laughs> all around. That's great. But when I filter it, it gets it down to about 7, and then I add 5.2 salts. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I took uh, Mike Riddle's um, recommendation. I've only been adding half now what they recommend. Of the 5.2? Of, of the 5.2. Yeah. Yeah, it's half a tablespoon per 5 gallons. Right, instead of the full thing. And it only works when you introduce it to the mash, but I add it to the water raw, because I don't in water in the grain. I do it backwards. Mm-hmm. But... My, I'm always checking my pH. I'm always hitting about five two five right mm-hmm. on the dot. Mm-hmm. You know, but now if you're an extract brewer, now what can you do to get this type of water impression across? You can do that as you can you can add some to the water. Um, you know, if you have a, a, a soft water, particularly soft, you can add say a small amount of gypsum, maybe a, a quarter ounce or seven grams. In in a, in this batch, and that'll enhance the sharpness of the hot bittering. Okay. But I would recommend against doing it unless your water really needs it. Brew this without right. doing that first, because most water, the majority of water in the United States, is pretty hard. Mm-hmm. It's moderately hard to hard eighty percent of the the locations in the U.S. Okay. And so you already have plenty in there, and when you toss in more, it's like John was saying, it becomes overwhelming. Yeah. It becomes you know it, it just ruins the beer so try it without it and you probably have uh plenty to go with there if not you can uh you know do it the next time you got lots of opportunities mm-hmm. to brew beer and, and don't worry about it it's more likely you'll mess it up by adding a bunch yeah. than uh than not so uh if you're in a soft water place uh, or a softer water place like john is maybe you, you add some of that but yeah. otherwise maybe not you know i've been just drinking water out of my tap now like mm-hmm. I've done a side-by-side filtration, UV lighting, mm-hmm. and straight from the tap, and mm-hmm. I can barely tell the difference. Mm-hmm. You know, the one with the UV lighting is unique, it's not, and I don't really like it that much because it doesn't have any flavor to it. Mm-hmm. You know, just straight from the tap, it's great brewing water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you have good, good brewing, good tasting water, yeah. it's uh, good for brewing. And I think you know, a lot of people they they do too much messing around mm-hmm. with the water uh, before uh, you know. Uh, before they really need to. Right. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So when we come back from the break, we'll get into uh, more of the fermentation and answer your questions. This fall, the most anticipated book in home brewing will be available from just one place. Uh, no, I think you can get it in a lot of places. Well, the most anticipated book in home brewing will be available for pre-order from only one place. That's not true either. All right, smarty pants, but only one place will have it signed. Oh, that's cool. TheBrewingNetwork.com offers brewing classic styles by Jamil Zanishev, the most awarded home brewer in history, and home brewing expert John Palmer. Available now for pre-order from the Brewing Network store, signed by Jamil himself. 
It's every BJCP style. Every recipe is extract and all grain. Every single one has won awards. Every style has some tips on how you brew the beer, what to focus on, what the key parts are of brewing an excellent version of the style. Available this fall, Brewing Classic Styles. Pre-order your copy today. Visit thebrewingnetwork.com for more details. Now, back to the Jameel Show. All right, we're back. And we're talking about German Pilsners, and John Plusset is going over his uh, award-winning uh, German Pilsner recipe. And you, you were telling me at one point that you use this recipe to as the basis for a bunch of different beers. Yeah, I will... Uh, Change my mash temperature about four degrees to make a Hellas. Mm-hmm. Same base. You raise it. I raise degrees. it up mm-hmm. about one fifty-two. Mm-hmm. You know, German pills. I lower it four degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's per- changing the just the maltiness, ferment- fermentability as well. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah, you want some residual sugar, drier, crisper. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, as far as yeast is concerned, what I do is I've been using Bach now for like two or three years. Per your recommendation, mm-hmm. that's and the uh, White Labs 833 uh, German Bach yeast, which is uh, Eyinger strain. Right, it's great yeast. Mm-hmm. What I what I do like about that yeast is it it clears up so quickly. This attenuates out well, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I don't know, it's just a really malty yeast too. This has a great f- malt character coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually do a starter, uh, two day starter, mm-hmm. serve plate, one vial, um, thousand mil. Or 2,000 mil, mm-hmm. um, whatever I have time to do, basically, as mm-hmm. long as I get that yeast active and awake. Mm-hmm. Um, and I cool my wort down to about 55 to 60 degrees, and I pitch it. Mm-hmm. And then I cool it within 12 degrees to about 48 degrees with a 2-degree swing. Uh, you mean within 12 hours? Within 12 hours, okay. I'll cool it down. Yeah, you said 12 degrees. Sorry, within right. 12 hours, I'll okay. cool it down to... <laughs> My fermentation temp. And what do you ferment at? Uh, 48 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit mm-hmm. for four weeks. And I'll take a gravity reading, taste it, and if I pick up any diacetyl, mm-hmm. I'll let it go another two weeks and won't touch it. Mm-hmm. If I don't get any diacetyl, I will um, cold crash it to about 40 degrees mm-hmm. in the primary and mm-hmm. let it go another week or two. Mm-hmm. And then I'll keg it. Right. I never secondary my loggers. I leave all my true behind in my boil kettle. All my cold break is there. Mm-hmm. Um if you can, if you have a majority of your cold break end up in your fermenter, mm-hmm. I'd recommend definitely racking off of that just so you get a cleaner, clearer beer. Mm-hmm. But I think trube is some trube is important, you know, a valuable food for yeast. So well, you know, even if you don't see it in the the wort, right, it's in there. Right, there's you know microscopic little pieces in there floating around, and you may not see it. You don't have to see a layer of it. And people that talk about, oh no, it's in there. It's yeast health. It's like, like that's why you need it. It's okay in there. And they have like two inches of crud on the bottom. Yeah, and you don't want that. It, it, it could be you know you get rid of all that. Yeah, there's still way more than enough in there. Right, you'd have to filter. You'd have to chill the beer down to 32 degrees and then filter it in order to get the all the cold break out of there. Huh. See, that's it's good to know that. You know, there's there's plenty in there even though you don't see it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the things. And I think as far as this beer or all lagers get better without about a month aging in the mm-hmm. keg. Mm-hmm. You just don't touch them. You know, I, I uh-huh. drink them every day and sample it, pull the yeast off because it's like a natural mm-hmm. way of filtering your beer. Mm-hmm. But come week three and four, all of a sudden it just rounds out mm-hmm. and it's just perfect. Right. And it's... You just can never brew enough of this beer that I found. 
because yeah. it takes so freaking long to brew this beer. Right. It's like a two to three month dedication, and you mm-hmm. wish you just had like a hundred gallons of it right. around. Yeah. But it's but it's worth the time. It is worth the time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So one thing you mentioned was diacetyl, and and one of the things the the warmer you start your yeast, the more uh, diacetyl uh, precursor you're going to have. And so one of the things um, that you if you do end up detecting some diacetyl or you're worried about diacetyl, you know, raising the temperature at the end will uh, help the yeast reabsorb it faster. Mm-hmm. You can give it as long as you don't take it off the yeast real quick. The mm-hmm. yeast eventually will get rid of it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to a point where it's generally undetectable. If you're in a hurry and you don't have the patience of John, you may want to, you know, jack it up another 10 degrees mm-hmm. at the end. Once it, once it looks like, you know, fermentation is really coming to an end, jack it up 10 degrees and it'll suck back up all the diacetyl and, and reduce it down. Right. And, you know, there's, there's ways, you know, if you, if you start colder and then go up, you will end up with less diacetyl overall. But I was emailing somebody recently and, you know, as long as it's, down to a level where it's acceptable or undetectable. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, if you have an undetectable level of diacetyl or a very undetectable level of diacetyl, You're probably okay. It probably doesn't matter a whole <laughs> heck of a lot, does yeah. it? No. You know, so, uh, you know, you don't really have to worry about that. But if you do uh, come across that, you just raise the temperature a little bit mm-hmm. or give it some more time, and, and generally those things will clean themselves up. Mm-hmm. If you have healthy yeast. If you have unhealthy yeast, you know, sometimes you can run into some yeah, problems. Yeah, it's an issue there. too. Yeah. So always, uh, you know, make sure you have good, healthy yeast. When I talk to a lot of new home brewers that are just getting into brewing and they want to do lagers, you know, I just they always want to rush it. They always want to rush mm-hmm. the issue. They want to drink it quickly and like, and then you just tell them, oh, it takes eight weeks. They're like, mm-hmm. all right, no, let's do the Blondale. Yeah, start you know, with ales. You can start with ales. Cause right. Get a few of those going. Yeah. Get you know, build up a supply of beer, and then start doing some lagers. Right. One, you build up there some you experience. You know, so you you know what you're doing, right. and then two, you'll have beer to drink while you're waiting for that lager. Right. And uh, you know, lagers are an excellent thing. Everybody should be making lagers, and uh, apparently a number of homebrewers don't. And I know when I was starting out, I was like, oh, you know, it's difficult. There's more equipment involved. It's really hard. You know, all these temperatures and all these things, and it's really not that much more difficult once you once you get into it. You do need uh, temperature controlled fermentation. Oh yeah. Though. You just can't do it without it. They get these wet towels and stuff. I, unless you're living in an area where it's you know Always snowy cold. outside, yeah. yeah, then you can do it. But even then, you know, having a nice steady temperature, right? You know, once you get to that fermentation, that temperature, being able to control it, I think is really critical. You just made me had to have a vision, like fermenting outside in the snow. Mm-hmm. Have a whole lineup of carboys underneath the snow. <laughs> How cool that would be. <laughs> Blow off tubes everywhere. Yeah, there's there's guys who do that. You know, they're all they're all set and they get the right weather. Yeah. yeah, good way to spend your winter, you know. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. So Justin, we got a couple of questions that came in on the chat room. I yeah, suppose a few more since uh, we last spoke too. Got a bunch here for you. A uh, good question that came through uh, was somebody wanted to know if you should use gypsum with your with your German pills. Well, you can use, uh, you know, anything that's gonna harden the water up and, uh, you know, some sulfate, some sulfur in the, uh, in the water will enhance that hot bitterness. So, yeah, you can. Okay, cool. Uh, how about, should we use a touch of melanoidin malt for that kind of a decoction mash character? You know, you can, but 
if you go and sample the German pilsners today in Germany, there's not a whole lot of decoction character going on or, you know, rich melanoidin, mm. uh, which, which was what people usually mean about decoction, uh, going on in those beers. And I think too much can really kind of fight that crisp, clean character. You want crisp and clean is the key. What about you, John? What do you think of the melanoid malt uh, approach? I think it would probably be more appropriate for a bohemian pills. Yeah, you know, yeah, well, sure, in a bohemian. Yeah, that more malty character. Which it's tends to be, color, you know, people key gold. on as uh, triple decocted yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Mm. So John's using some Munich malt in there. Uh, you know, I don't know if I would have that in my recipe, but... Uh, uh, or, you know, if I did, I'd have it in a smaller, smaller amount, maybe, yeah. or, you know, I, I, it's absolutely fine. I'm just saying, uh, you know, I might do it a little differently, but I think that's going to give you some melanoidins. The Munich malt definitely has more melanoidin uh, character in it than, you know, a Pilsner malt. Okay. And so that's what John's doing here is, is giving you a touch of that melanoidin. So I'd, I'd go with what John's got here instead of uh, substituting the melanoidin. Okay. And how long of a diacetyl rest in this one? Do you guys talk about that at all? Depends on a lot of different factors. Again, um, you know, if you're wanting to get the yeast started faster and you're going with a warmer temperature, you are going to need you might either a nice long period of, of time on the yeast or, you know, bring it up uh, as the yeast starts slowing down, bring it up like an extra 5 to 10 degrees, mm-hmm. and you give it maybe two days at the warmer temperature, two or three days, and it, it'll reabsorb that diacetyl. Uh, you know, the way John does it, uh, taste, I think. Yeah. You know, he After tastes four it. weeks is good in rule of thumb. Keeps, keeps tasting it. Mm-hmm. And if you give it enough time, even at colder temperatures like John's doing, it'll, uh, it'll, uh, reabsorb. It'll still do its thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. I think, uh, I just don't uh, like screwing around with my beer. You know, the interesting yeah. thing, yeah, I don't either. The interesting, uh, Neva, uh, Parker, uh, uh, well, Wide Labs, he did an experiment with a couple of different kinds of yeast and they pre- published it in Zymergy. And, uh, in it, you know, they 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 pulled the samples so quickly after fermentation that uh, you know both the samples have huge amounts of diacetyl. Yeah, I know. So. And and the reason there's huge amounts of diacetyl in it is because uh, the yeast didn't get time to reabsorb the diacetyl. Right. And really, you know, the the warmer you start, the more diacetyl precursor you're going to have. And given enough time, um, you know, the the beer that starts cooler is going to have less diacetyl. But you can get to a point. Uh, even starting warmer, where you have, or the diacetyl is undetectable. Mm-hmm. You just gotta give the yeast enough time. Mm-hmm. John's waiting four weeks, or you know, warm it up for a couple of days to help the yeast reabsorb that diacetyl, and it'll be just fine. You probably don't want to get above, what, three to five degrees from your, what your normal fermentation temp if you were doing a diacetyl rest? No, you can go, uh, you can go five to ten. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. But how long would you recommend? Five days, you said? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, two, two, three days. Okay. That's enough. Okay. Yeah, generally enough. Okay. Uh, you know, again, like you do, mm-hmm. uh, go by taste. Right. And I think uh, I think that works out great. I think what you know John's doing, uh, you know, that certainly will work out well. Uh, you know, proven by John's uh, you know awards for for his beers, and uh, it it's you know uh, the key is you know focusing on the taste and giving it enough time and starting with a healthy yeast and be patient with pills. Right. You know, got to got to take some time. Okay, a couple uh, general questions for you, although one of them is good for this one, too. You don't secondary. We talked about that plenty. A person wants to know what he should do because he, he doesn't keg. He, he bottles. And, mm-hmm. you know, for me and you, that's, our keg is our secondary. So should he just primary longer, lager it, or what should he do? Uh, see, that's a, the keg's not necessarily the secondary. Um, 
you know, you, you leave the the beer on the yeast in the, your in your carboy to start with, and John's leaving his on the yeast in that carboy for four weeks. Yeah, he's not up moving. To six, it. Uh, six yeah. weeks. He's yeah. not moving moving it at some point, leaving it in a keg, and then you know leaving it in the keg for a number of weeks because that would be like a secondary vessel at fermentation temperatures. But rather, you can do the same thing uh, as a, a brewer that bottles. Just leave it in there four weeks, six weeks, whatever, and then at that point, it tastes right. There's the diacetyls down, uh, you know, sulfur is dissipated. Everything seems good. It's attenuated properly. Then you rack just the clear beer off the off of the lees into your bottling bucket and go from there. Okay. And that that work out just fine. Okay. So you you, you still don't have the secondary. No. You know no, that. no okay. No. Great. Uh, and then for you, general question for you, Jamil, uh, people were curious if you've ever had a beer of yours brewed commercially. Uh, yeah, you know, a number of times. Um, I think the f- first one was uh, when Dave Teckham was at Sacramento Brewing Company. He asked me, uh, you know, if we wanted to do a, a brown ale recipe together. And so I came up with a kind of a recipe, and he kind of tweaked it a little bit. Was it an English or? That. Uh, it was just a brown nice. ale. And then... Uh, I think uh you know Tide House and Mountain View and uh uh EJ Fair. Fair and Lodi and uh you know a couple of uh downtown Joe's and so uh yeah people would ask me for recipes uh you know more recently in the past few years and uh I <laughs> rightfully gladly so. give out my recipes right. and uh you know so these breweries uh, I've been trying a bunch of different stuff, and uh, a lot of them turn out great. And, you know, the EJ Fair, uh, you sure. know, they were able to get a gold medal in the GABF with that. Uh, Killer Schwartz you know, beer. Uh, I'm sure they, they oh. adjusted it and did all sorts of stuff to, to make it their own. But it uh, turned out great, mm-hmm. and they, they uh, yeah really excellent uh, beer, and they, they won gold with that bad yeah. boy. It's the one keg I ever bought from EJ Fair. Oh, yeah? Schwartz yeah. beer. Cool. It was cool. so good. Yeah, that, that's good stuff. I'm curious to see how many uh, brewers actually buy your book. Like professional brewers. You well, know. you know, the really cool thing at GABF this last year is, uh, you know, I'd go around to the, the various tasting booths and, you know, I'd just stick my glass out like anybody else and I'm not saying anything or doing anything and, and people would look at me and they go, hey man, I listened to the show. It's really good. <laughs> or, oh, I read your article in Zymergy on uh, this or that. That's, oh yeah, that's, that's great. awesome. You know, and uh, I'm like, like oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And uh, there were actually a couple of breweries there. Stan Haram's was taking me around where they had brewed a, a late hot beer based on the, the Zymergy article. No way. And uh, I was tasting those. And that was just really cool. And, you know, because, you know, most brewers out there, they're creative. They're, you know, uh, smart. They're, you know, uh, really want to do something unusual. And they don't care if the idea comes from somebody like me mm-hmm. or somebody or a place like, you know, uh, some brewing school in Germany, they're open to anything. Yeah. You know, they're not closed-minded, or the majority of them are not closed-minded. They're very creative, uh, open people, and that's, I think, it's, it's part of that beer culture. You get a few real whack jobs. <laughs> yeah. Real closed-minded people, but, yeah. you know, you get that in any group. And I'd, I'd say mm-hmm. beer people are actually much more open oh, yeah. than anything else. If I went Humble. into, you know, started doing my brain surgery stuff, I bet you most of those brain surgeon doctors would just kind of poo-poo my plans. <laughs> For brain surgery, yeah. but the brewers are wi- wide open, so it's right. really cool. I really, I really appreciate that. I'm very, very uh, touched and, and and pleased. And if you know, if they've well, karma. gleaned any Those sort of 
useful information out of all this blather, then great. They're, uh, you know, they're far smarter than I am. <laughs> well, I've always been a firm believer in to learn from others, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I mean, why do we do this? Because everybody's told us all sorts of stuff and shared all sorts of information exactly. with us. And uh, this is just a chance to give it back. Mm-hmm. Sweet. All right, wrap up the style for us. That's all the questions I got from the chat room. You want to kind of recap your your recipe real quick? For an all-grain, uh, six gallons, 70% efficiency, eight and a half pounds of German two-row pills, one pound of German light Munich, half a pound of Carafoam. Keep in mind, these are all Weyermann malts from Germany. Uh, Tower, uh, see, one and a quarter ounce of Tower for 60 minutes, and a half ounce of Tower in the last one minute, and I use... WLP 833 German Bach Lager Yeast from White Labs. If you're doing an extract version, I would say four pounds of German Pils malt, three pounds of German Munich extract, which is about 40% Munich in that blend. Mm-hmm. So it's roughly in there. Mm-hmm. And use the same hop schedule. Mm-hmm. And ferment four to six weeks in the primary. Don't touch it. And drink it. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Love the last part of the recipe and yeah. drink it. That's an important part that we you don't know, include all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I better write that one down because apparently that's what I've been missing. The the book is now in error because all eighty three of those recipes don't have that key <laughs> part and drink it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, what's next? Our well, next I show. You know, I think that's actually a real good point. You know, drink it and enjoy it. I think part of drinking is enjoy it. Just enjoy what you do. You know, have a have a good have a good uh, recipe and. You know, if it if it turns out flawless, enjoy it that much more. If it turns out to be a good beer, enjoy it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, it's it's you know a good beer. You made it with your own hands. Yeah, so. exactly. So drink it and enjoy it every every time. Very cool. So, so what do we have? American IPA, is it or? Uh, I don't know. American yeah. IPA. Oh. You got American IPA next, so a lot of people are going to be excited about that one. Yeah, that's another good one. We should get. McDolan here too. Yeah, he's got a. I mean, he's, he's got a nice the sweet. And when it's Hoppy, Mister Hoppy, Mister Hops. Ooh, talk him into it. That'd be great. That'd be cool. A little addition, a bonus. Yeah, that'd be very cool. Yeah, maybe we get him to do it. All cool. right, great show, John. You too. Cheers, Bruce Strong. Bruce Strong. So that's coming up in two weeks. You can pick up Jamil Zanishev's new book along with John Palmer in our store right now, thebrewingnetwork.com/store. And of course, not only do you help out the author Jamil, who uh, worked really hard on that and put out a lot of good information for you, but you also help out the Brewing Network, who uh, carries his show to you every uh, time you get it. So. Pre-sale now in the store and personally signed by Jamil Zanishev. So that's kind of cool, too, and it's only nineteen ninety-five. So check that out. They'll be shipping uh, officially in November, but uh, possibly before then. Jamil shows back in two weeks right here on the Brewing Network. Jamil Show has been a production of The Brewing Network. Please send questions for Jamil to jamil at thebrewingnetwork.com.